Well, let's turn in God's word this evening to Nehemiah chapter 4, please. We're turning to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to read the first nine verses this evening. Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll read from the verse 1 together. We're speaking under the title this evening, When Opposition Comes. When Opposition Comes. And you're going to find here as we open and read the opening verses in chapter 4 that opposition arrives and ridicule arrives and from God's enemies and Nehemiah and the Jewish people's enemies as they come and they observe all that's happening here at the wall of Jerusalem. And this is the word of the Lord, chapter 4, the verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their head. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabi Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. And set a watch against them day and night because of them. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. We're coming now to our sixth study in the book of Nehemiah. And we arrive at the beginning of chapter 4 and as we come to God's word again this evening, let's paint the picture, let's set the scene uh, as we consider all that's happening, before we consider all that's happening in these verses we've read together this evening. Of course in chapter 3, the people had split into groups and they were split into groups by Nehemiah and they started to work in each of the gates around the city and they began to restore the gates and the walls around and they were working together and you can see that bit by bit and little by little the work was being done and everyone was involved and everyone was getting was busy rebuilding and getting the city back together again. What we did last week was we considered spiritually the significance of each of the gates and we asked the question, how can we build for God? And as we thought about these gates that were being rebuilt, there was first of all the sheep gate, which reminded us of the way of sacrifice. And if we're going to do a work for the Lord, well, we need to be saved first and foremost. And the sheep gate, reminding us of the way of sacrifice, points us to the cross of Calvary, where we first need to visit 
the finished work of Calvary. And then we visited the fish gate last week, which reminded us of how the Lord called his disciples to be fishers of men. And of course, we must be intentional in our evangelism. We thought about the old gate, reminding us of that verse in Jeremiah, which speaks of the old paths, the old doctrinal truths that must stand and have always stood throughout time and eternity. And we thought about the valley gate, which speaks of a place of humility and speaking of full surrender. And if we're going to do a work for the Lord, we need to come to the place of full surrender. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Then we thought of the dung gate. We spent some time in the dung gate because it's an extremely important gate that needs rebuilt. It's dealing with unrepented sin. And if we want to know God's blessing here in Grange Baptist, or indeed the church across Ulster and across Northern Ireland and the Ireland and the United Kingdom, if we want to see God moving, we need to be doing away with sin. We need to be confessing sin. We need to be keeping short accounts. We need to be solving disputes between one another. Because if that is happening, there will be no blessing. We then visited the fountain gate. Reminding us of the need of the work of the Spirit of God in our midst. We visited the water gate speaking of God's word. We need the washing of the word of God daily. We visited penultimately the horse gate. Where the soldiers would have ridden in and out of the city after battle. Reminding us that there is a daily battle with the power of the air, Satan. And we ought to go to war with him each day. And finally, we considered the inspection gate last week, or the judgment gate, reminding us that one day, you and I, we will give account at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. You and I will give account for how we live for the Lord from the day that we were saved. Now, in chapter 3, it's very important to notice that all the people of God came together under the leadership of Nehemiah. And they were doing a great work for the Lord. And I wonder, can you see them all? I wonder, can you step into the scene? Because they were giving their all. And they were giving their best. Their attitude was wonderful. And their effort was faultless. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was at school, you would have got your grade, A, B, C, and all that there. But then on the next column, and this is where I normally got in trouble if it wasn't a one or a two, there was an effort mark. An effort mark. Now let me say this. With these people and with ourselves, the things that we can control are our attitude and our effort. Our attitude and our effort. And that's the thing that my parents were most interested in when my report card arrived before them. What's my attitude like? And how was my effort? If it said a C and my effort was one, they were pleased because they knew I was doing my best to get the highest grade I could. And you know, when it comes to God's work, it's not great and praise the Lord. I'm glad about that. But you know, it's important that our attitude is good and our effort is faultless. You know, and I believe God wants us to build a work here in Green. And I wonder what your attitude is like when it comes to the Lord's work. And I wonder, do you give your all? Do you get a number one in effort when it comes to the Lord's work? Only you can answer those questions. You know that before you and the Lord. But there's different parts of the wall that God wants you to be involved in building. 
parts that I can't work on, parts that you'll work on, and parts that the Lord has given you to build. We all have a little work to do in order to build a work up here for the Lord. And I wonder how your part of the wall in God's work is looking this evening. I wonder, is it starting to build up or is it still lying in its rubble? Important questions to ask. And you know, when I think about it, we saw last week that there were lots of names mentioned, some complicated to pronounce, but the names are largely unknown today. Yet these people did a great work for God. You know, in a hundred years' time, more likely than not, my name will have been forgotten. And so will yours. People will have moved on. In the grand scheme of this world, we are nobodies. Here today and gone tomorrow. But God will remember what I did for him. And God will remember what you did for him. He won't forget. And while there's a list of names here in chapter 3 that we may not remember, isn't it great that they're noted in scripture? And God didn't forget them. I love that. I love that. And let me tell you, dear brother, dear sister, tonight, for the work that you're doing for the Lord, your name is being etched down in the memory of God for the work that you do here at Greens and the work that you do for the Lord outside of this church fellowship. God will not forget. Now, if you're going to do a work for God, you're inevitably going to face opposition. Let me tell you why. The devil hates what you're doing. And in your Christian walk and work, if you aren't facing opposition, let me suggest that you think very carefully about the way that you're living and working. Because if there's not opposition, it may be that you're walking just the way the devil wants you to. If you don't want, ever want to face opposition, then just don't do anything for God. Maybe that's why some don't do anything for God. Because in the past, maybe you have faced depression and you have faced criticism and you couldn't handle it. And maybe you threw the towel in and you said, enough of this. I can't take any more of this. I don't need this. I have enough problems in my life. And so you put down your trowel and you put down your sword and you decide, that's it. I can give no more for the Lord. But if you're about to take up the trial and the sword, and if you're going to do a work for the Lord, maybe go to the mission field or maybe some kind of work here in the local church or an organization that you're involved with, you'll need to anticipate this fact that you will face external and internal opposition if you're going to do anything that counts for God. It's inevitable. And Nehemiah is a man that we must mark. And what I want you to mark him this evening as is a man, uh, you know, I want you to see how he reacted and I want you to see how he faced his opposition in his, in his, spiritual, in his spiritual work and ministry for the Lord. Warren Wearsby writes this, he says, opposition is not only an evidence that God is blessing, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow. I think that's really good. Opposition is not only an evidence that God is blessing, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow. The difficulties that come to the work brought out the best in Nehemiah. And actually brought out the best in the Jewish people who were working for Nehemiah. Satan wanted to use all his artillery and all his weapons to destroy the work of God, but it ended up strengthening God's people. 
You know, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He says, God had one son who was without sin, but not without trial. God had one son who was without sin, but not without trial. And as we travel through chapters 4 to 6, we're going to see different ways that the enemy will try to destroy the work that you do for the Lord. And you, you know, you'll see Satan and the ploy, his ploys and his tactics and he'll seek to destroy that's anything good of the work of God. And I think it's important to consider Satan and his tactics. I'll tell you why. Because this is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Paul writes this when speaking about Satan. He says, we are not ignorant of his devices. We need to know Satan's tactics. We need to know where Satan's going to attack. And Paul said we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that the leadership of ne- we'll see the leadership of Nehemiah and the faith of the Jews are tested to the absolute limits. And Satan's going to throw his best at them. And Nehemiah's handling of this harassment and the subsequent temptation to be discouraged. Uh, it's amazing when you see how he deals with it and the, the pressure of the Lord's work. Now, what I want to do this evening is just take two headings as we consider our title when opposition comes. The first heading is this, the strategy of the enemy. And the second is the strategy of the overcomer. Okay, so we're, let's start with the first one, the, the strategy of the enemy. The strategy of the enemy. The first strategy that you'll find the enemy uses is this, ridicule, ridicule. The first tactic that Satan used is found in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4. And the enemy laughs and he ridicules what's going on. And Sanballat, here he comes and he walks back onto the scene. We met met him in chapter 2. And he didn't say too much in chapter 2. He just observed. but And he wasn't too happy in chapter 2. But now he's getting a wee bit more angry. And he arrives in the scene. And he's got something to say this time. And he begins to mock in verse 2. wonder can you hear him speaking tonight. When he says what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Are they going to build the temple again? Are they going to really, do they really think they can do this? That they can get all of this sorted, bring the sheep in and be sacrificing and praising their God again? Really, you think you can do that? Look at you. Do you think you'll finish this in a day? Do you think you're going to be able to use these stones, this pile of rubbish, to build up the walls? And he comes and he starts mocking them and throwing abuse at them and, and discouraging them. And he's laughing. Let me tell you something today. It's not unusual for the enemy to insult the servants of God. And here's Samuel and he's standing laughing and mocking. But let me tell you, Goliath ridiculed David. And the shepherd boy stood before him with just a sling and a few stones. And there's many of the heroes of the thief had to endure much mocking, but they stood firm. And maybe in the work that you do for the Lord, or maybe in your daily witness for the Lord in the workplace or wherever you find yourself, maybe you do often face ridicule. Even right now, today, maybe you have heard ridicule for your faith. 
Well, I want you to listen carefully because when the enemy rages on earth and when the enemy seeks to attack you, God laughs in heaven. How do I know that? In Psalm chapter two, in Psalm two, verse four, this is what we read: "He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh; the Lord shall have them, the enemy, in derision." When the Lord sees the effort of the enemy, when the Lord sees the enemy, he just sits and laughs because he's all powerful. He's more powerful than the one who oppresses. Never forget that the almighty God of this universe is on your side. Sam Ballot, when he heard that the work was going on, he was angry and he was filled with indignation and he began to ridicule the people of God. Now if you turn back to chapter 2 verse 9, you'll see there that he was only angry. It says there, then I came, Nehemiah speaking of course, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat, here he is, his first mention, the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there, were came, um, that there came a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. It grieved them just, they didn't say anything. But then we arrive in chapter 4, verse 1, and that grieving is starting to be manifest, and he starts to get angry, and he becomes incensed, and it comes out of his mouth, and he can't hold it in anymore, and that's when he starts to ridicule the Jewish builders. And he's not pleased that the building has started, and it's irritated him. And he looks, and with his great human wisdom, he says, you're not going to be able to do this. And he looks at the people and says, there's not enough of you. You'll never do this. I hope you realize that one of the chief characteristics of our enemy, the devil, is that he's a mocker. He's a mocker. And the devil's mouth is filled with mockery and ridicule. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the way to Calvary? He was mocked and he was ridiculed. When he was hanging on the cross, he was mocked and he was ridiculed. He saved others. Himself he cannot see it. And you know, the people who stood around the cross mocked, and the soldiers mocked. Many of the Romans mocked, and people in Jerusalem, even the Jews mocked. And out of every corner and crevice of humanity, people came, and they were motivated, and they were inspired by the evil one himself to mock the Lord Jesus as he died for your sin and mine. And the devil, he was involved there. He was the prime mocker of all time, and he still is. And Sam Ballad, he mocked the workers by calling them, do you know what he calls them? Have a look here. He calls them feeble Jews. What do these feeble Jews? Means that word feeble, it means withered. It means miserable. Now I feel this needs said. Maybe this evening sometimes you can be tempted to say things about your brothers and sisters in Christ. This shouldn't be said. It might be said in secret, but it's still said. Maybe sometimes you can be found gossiping and you slip into mockery or ridicule of someone who's involved in the work of the Lord. I wonder, do you realize the seriousness of being involved in the devil's work? It's easy to slip into conversations and to criticize what others are doing in the church. If I was doing that, I would. Oh, we ought to be encouraging one another in the work that we do for the Lord. And this is something that we can't ignore or brush under the carpet. We're all very good at justifying our criticism towards other believers in Christ. 
perhaps things that we don't agree with. We don't realize that we're actually getting involved with the work of Satan himself. Don't discourage one another. Oh, that we would be encouraging one another all the time. One writer has said that ridicule is a device used by ignorant people who are filled with jealousy. Often all that motivates people in criticism is the fact that they're jealous of someone who is doing a great work for the Lord. Sam Ballot took great pride in pointing out the weakness of the Jewish people. And from his human perspective, they didn't have the manpower or the human resources or anything that they needed to finish the work. And here in Grange, in the grand scheme, people may look at us and say, you're a small fellowship. What are you going to achieve for the Lord? And humanly speaking, maybe some will look at us and say, you don't have the manpower. You don't have the people to complete the task God wants you to do. But never let that be a reason that, we make, that makes us think that we're not useful for the Lord. You see, Sambalat tried to say the Jews were feeble, but God delights in using the feeble instruments in his work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 31, God delights in using the weak things in this world. Listen to this, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yes, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto his wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written he that glorifieth let him glory in the Lord how what what is our purpose how many times have I said this in recent weeks how many times has God's word, God's word taught us what is our purpose as a fellowship here in Grange it's to glorify the Lord it's to give the work to him we may be small, but we've got a faithful God. A faithful God who can do mighty things in our community. And we've got to believe that. And we've got to ask the Lord to do that. And we've got to be before the Lord on our knees, asking him and pleading with him to do that often. Not just at the corporate prayer meetings, but in our individual prayer times. Asking that the Lord would move in our community. Asking that the Lord would be pleased to use us. You know, there's... Sam Ballot and he mocked. He was saying, Will they finish this job today? Look at these feeble Jews, these people, look at their plan. They're hoping to get the wall built soon. Do you think they'll ever do that? But I want you to see not only did he mock with his words, but he also criticized their plan. And he mocked their very materials that they were using for the job because at the end of verse 2 he simply says, well, they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned. Look at the rubbish material you're using. You know, the truth is, in spite of what he said, there was plenty of good material to use. I want to tell you something. Satan uses a great tactic. He lies to you. And he tells you you're not good enough to do the job. And he tells you you don't have the resources, you don't have the time. And not only that, Satan knows how to get a crowd against you. Because not only was there ridicule, but others joined in. Others joined in. On steps the scene, Tobiah the Amorite in verse 3. He's another one of the visiting, visiting dignitaries. When he spoke, he mocked the, he mocked the finished pro project. 
the finished product. And he says, even what you're building, if a fox goes up, it'll even break down the stone wall. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I've told you often I like to step into the scene of Scripture and look around me. And I find that Sambalat seems to be this strong character. And I don't know if you watch some movies sometimes and there's some Egypt that comes alongside. And they just talk nonsense beside the enemy. And I, I, I see Tobiah coming along and, you know, he's saying, oh, look at your wall, even a fox will knock it down. What nonsense. He comes along and he talks nonsense. You know, I can almost imagine Sam Ballard turning around and saying, would you be quiet? But, you know, as I step and I look at that, it's just all of a sudden a big crowd starts to come in and others start to join in the mocking. And they're just trying to discourage the Jews. Now, yeah, you listen to Sambalat, who was filled with ridicule. You listen to Tobiah, filled with ridicule. And, and they're both saying all these things. But not only that, the next thing you find in verse 7, because nothing's really happening and their words aren't being listened to. And it's not affecting the Jewish people. And it's not affecting Nehemiah because they're just ignoring what they're saying. And they become even more angered and they draw even more people in. And you see in verse 7, Satan, he gets the army together. But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being made up and the breaches began to be stopped, that they were wroth, they were angry. So what did they decide to do? And they conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder the work. They weren't happy with their words anymore. They were going to have to come and do something about it. An oppression was coming and Nehemiah's faith was going to be tested and the Jewish people's faith was going to be tested. And here they all are coming against the Lord's work. How do you overcome this? Surely this is an impossible task. Surely Nehemiah should rise up to them and start speaking directly and speaking a bit of his mind to them. That's not how he deals with it. I want you to see the strategy of the overcomer. Nehemiah is a key Bible character whose example we all ought to follow. Do you know why? Because he's the epitome to me of a balanced Christian. How did Nehemiah counteract this malicious slander and disheartening derision? This is a critical moment. He could have retaliated, lost his head, gave these men a piece of his own mind. With the future of the walls of Jerusalem in the balance, the Jewish people could have listened and gave up. But what did Nehemiah do? What did he do? He didn't say a single word to them. He dropped to his knees and he prayed. This shouldn't surprise us by this stage. He prayed when he received this distressing news from his brother in chapter 1. And also when King Ataxerxes demanded to know the reason for his sad face in chapter 2. And prayer was a distinctive reaction of Nehemiah when he was confronted with a crisis. Not like many people who pray in desperation when everything else has failed, Nehemiah poured out his heart to God rather than entering into futile arguments with his opponents. He believed that the rebuilding of the wall was God's work. And God would bring it to a successful end. And the people were just the tools that God was willing to use. Later, Nehemiah reassured the builders with these words in verse 20 of chapter 4. We'll think about that in a later week. But this is what he says. Our God will fight for us. Isn't that lovely? 
our God will fight for us. Here's two aspects to this prayer of Nehemiah's. I want you to see that first of all he appeals to, to God to be merciful to his people. Let, look at his words. He says, hear us. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, hear us. And it indicates that Nehemiah's prayer, it was a public one. He was praying in behalf of all the people. And he said, hear us, plural. He dropped to his knees publicly this time. And the people hear his prayer and he prays on behalf of the nation. And the basis of his plea was God's unique relationship with his people. He says this, hear us, O our God. Do you know in scripture so many times I love it when you see those words, my and our. Because it reminds us that God, he is our God. And that we have a personal relationship with him. You know, it would be no good if I didn't speak to my father every day. Our relationship would break down. And we wouldn't, get, we wouldn't know each other well anymore. But I speak to my father every day. I tell him of my love for him. He tells me that he loves me. We discuss all that's going on in my life. I discuss all that's going on in his. And how much more important it is that we speak often with our heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father who cares for us and loves us far more than our earthly fathers ever will. And Nehemiah says, hear us, O our God. You're our God and you're on our side. And he looks and he cries to the Lord to be merciful. You know, the merciful God declares in his word that he feels the pain of suffering people and his people are suffering. One passage which makes this point is Isaiah 63 verse 9 which refers back to God's gracious dealings with the Israelites in the wilderness. And in all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them and in his love and mercy he redeemed them and he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And that little term, the angel of his presence, is none other than the man of sorrows who is familiar with our suffering. Because he is familiar with suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, when we cry out to God to be merciful upon us, in our individual suffering, and when oppression comes against the work of God, God hears our prayer. And he knows our every weakness. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself knows exactly what it means to suffer. But not only did Nehemiah prayed that God would be merciful. But he prayed that God would deal with the oppressors. Look what it says in verse 4. He says, for we are despised and turn the, and he says, and turn their reproach upon their own head. He says, what they're wishing for us, Lord, turn it on to them. Because they're against the Lord. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And don't cover their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. God would deal with their problem. Because Nehemiah realized they had a work to get on with. And God could turn what the what Tobiah and what Sambalat wanted to happen to the Jews against them. And you know, when I think of Nehemiah on his knees, it reminds me of that little phrase, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on their knees. What are you facing today? Maybe you're here this evening and you're facing an enemy at the minute. 
My friend, take courage. There is a calm and a safe retreat. Tis found beneath the mercy seat. And Nehemiah, he had a heart to pray. And that was the first thing he did. You know, before the Lord this evening, I know at times I'm too quick to lift my phone and to speak to a man of God. And we all do that. We turn to people when we have an issue and we turn to people that we trust for spiritual advice and there's nothing wrong with that. But let me remind you that it's not a man of God that we need. It's the God of man. And we should turn to him first. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He bowed the knee. And as we finish tonight, I want you to see that not only had he a heart to pray, but he had a mind to work. And so had the people. Nehemiah had an industrious mind. You see, look at verse 6. I, I, I think this is great. He says his prayer. And then he turns and he says, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together. It's so matter of fact, isn't it? After all this opposition, and after his prayer, he just says, so we got on with it. So we built the wall. He didn't take notice anymore of those jibes and all those pokes of criticism. We built the wall. And the end of the verse says, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah, he got off his knees and he had a renewed spirit because that's what prayer does for you. You can go into the very presence of God and at times it feels like you can just cast your armor down and you can say, Lord, I've had enough and I can't take anymore. Lord, please deal with this situation. And a few moments in prayer and you get up and you're regalvanized and you put your armor back on and you get to the work again. And that's what Nehemiah does. He goes up the mountain of prayer. He bows the knee, but he doesn't forget to come back down the mountain to the battlefield. You know, I like the way Chuck Swindle puts this in his book. He says, he can see Nehemiah coming back to the wall. He says, come on, let's keep mixing this in that. Let's keep building the wall. Hand me another brick. That's his attitude. Hand me another brick and we'll get this wall built all the quicker. Because when opposition came, he went to the Lord. And it motivated him. And he kept going. I wonder, do you face oppression tonight? wonder, do you face opposition tonight in the work you do for the Lord? Go up the mountain of prayer. Take your armor off for a while. And pray to the Lord and tell him all about it. He knows. And he cares. But don't forget to come back down the mountain to the battlefield. And get on with the work that God has called you to do. Put your armor back on. Get on with the work. Keep working for God. Keep pressing on for him. And if you face criticism and opposition, tell the Lord about it. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer, in his arms, 
he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Let's pray together. Father, how we realise at this very moment as we've opened your word and listened that there's spiritual warfare happening even in this room. And Father, we realise that Satan hates what we would want to achieve for the Lord here at Greenwich. And Satan hates would each of us individually seek to achieve for the Lord with our lives. And Father, we pray that by the power of your name, your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, that Satan wouldn't get a foothold in our lives. And that Satan wouldn't get a, foot a foothold in our local church. And Father, we pray that indeed you would encourage us in these days. We realise, Father, when we work for you, that opposition will come. And Satan will throw all he has to disrupt the work, to distract, to take us away from what we ought to be doing for you. Father, help us to remember often not to retaliate to these things or to open our mouths swiftly. But Father, to hold our tongues and to be found often on our knees. For that's where the spiritual battle is won. We're sorry, Father, for the times we take things into our own hands. We're sorry, Father, for the times that we don't pray as we ought. Father, we see such a great example in Nehemiah. Father, we pray that we would be a people constantly constantly praying, constantly seeking your will. And Father, we pray that in all that we do as a church assembly here, that glory would be brought to your name. Father, we pray that the schemes of the devil would be brought to nothing. And that, Father, you would help us to build up the work here as each of us work in our wee part of the war. Father, we pray that you would help us and enable us in these days Father, we pray all this in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.